right. Good morning to you. It is good. Now, you just, you just might as well know it. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, I thought today I would be in Florida fixing to go to a funeral for my brother. And uh, I'm here instead. Not that he didn't die, but they changed the plans on the funeral from like two weeks out. And I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm sitting in my chair this morning. Okay, God. And I told David. And I told, I don't told David today. I, I always spill my guts. I said, okay, this is one of those low-confidence sermons, you know, because I'm just not sure, you know. And uh, I'm sitting in my chair this morning as I study some more in, in, in my home office. And I'm going, you know, God, you've got me here intentionally. And that's pretty exciting. That's pretty exciting because that means, like, I'm supposed to be here. And that's really exciting. And already, you know, that was my daughter, Rebecca, who shared with the Annie Armstrong uh, missions report. That's just incredible. I'm so proud of her. I really am. She just did a great job. And the songs we sang, even standing back at the, uh, at the sound booth, you know, Jim Rector is probably the biggest clown in this church. I know y'all think I am, but he is. And so Trevor, you know, Trevor was sitting there, and, uh, or standing there, I'm sorry. And uh, so, to, you know, Jim goes, so this young man's trying to figure out where he should sit today. I looked at him, I said, we don't allow his kind in this church. And he looked at me like, I said, that's what we're preaching on today. You know, so even little things like just several things have happened. And I'm just excited because, I, you know, I just know God's going to do something really incredible in our lives. And today the sermon title is Pride and Prejudice. Now, I'm going to tell you, originally when I thought of that, I thought about the old movie, you know, uh, Jane Austen, I think it is. I believe it is. Um, who wrote all these cool books. I like chick flicks. I confess it. Every once in a while I like a good chick flick. And that was Pride and Prejudice was a great chick flick. And so, but that just didn't work out the way I was trying to say because I really want us to answer some big questions today. And it involves pride and prejudice. Now, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, I can't remember when, we were talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. And then also we were talking about the fact that we are like sheep. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. And I said that night, it's pretty incredible. We are like sheep who are lost, and he's the good shepherd. It was a match made in heaven. And I thought about that again this morning. That's exactly right. You know, some things are just meant to go together. Okay? We see it in couples, you know. You see couples that, mm, they don't mesh too good. But then you see cups, couples who just mesh. They just mesh together, okay? And it happens. But I see it in food. I, I see a lot in food. <laughs> so, for instance, I know this is not true of everybody, okay? All right? But let me just say two words, and some of y'all are going to get it. Reese cup. Yeah, come on now. I don't know how it happened. They used to have a commercial, but I don't know how it happened. But somehow, peanut butter and chocolate got together, and all of us who love peanut butter and chocolate are forever grateful for that moment in time. They just, it's the sweet, it's the salty thing going together. It's just a match made in heaven. But sometimes the matches aren't quite as obvious. And that is like, Spaghetti and fish. Yeah, you say, say what? Well, that's because y'all ain't black. Oh, yeah, see, see I got introduced to, to, to spaghetti and fish by my brother Dave Bradford. He invited me over supper one night and said, we're going to have spaghetti and fish. I said, say what? You know, he said, I said he goes, it, it, dude, he said, it's a black thing. Yeah, you ask anybody around here that's black what you eat with fish. They're going to tell you spaghetti. So sure enough, I showed up at his house, and we had fish and spaghetti. Well, all I could say is shoot that thing. 
If you ain't never had it, you don't know. Now, I need to tell you this, though. I'm going to be honest with you. Lisa just happens to make an incredible pot of spaghetti. And Bradford fries up some pretty incredible fish. I don't think you can open a can of SpaghettiOs and fish sticks and make this work. But I'm just telling you, even though it doesn't sound like it goes together, trust me, it matches great. And then, of course, there's bacon. You know, bacon and anything. Anything. I, I bet, I bet you could wrap a, a stalk of celery around with bacon and go, hmm, that's good. That's good. Bacon's just incredible. So there's lots of things that go together that are matches made in heaven. And then there's ones that you really don't think about, and that's this. Sinners and saints. Sinners and saints. You think, oh, no, they're opposites. Oh, no, they're not. Oh, no, they're not. I love this song. You know, there's a line in the middle there that, that Toby Mac was singing. You know, tonight's the night when the sinners and the saints come together and two worlds collide. And it's a beautiful display. And even though we think about sinners and saints not being a good match, they really are. I mean, think about Jesus. Again, think about Jesus. You know, here we were and we really needed a redeemer, uh, you know, and he redeemed us. You know, we, we, we were lost and we needed saving, and he was a savior. I mean, it's amazing. You know, Jesus, did you know, Jesus always hung around lost people. I mean, you know, he goes and, and they drag this woman, you know, the woman that was taking adultery, and man, you know, he, he has the opportunity to condemn her, and doesn't, and says, you know, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. He meets a woman at the well. By the way, you want to know why it's always the woman? Because the men, one, were cowardly, and two, they got a free pass in that society. But the woman at the well had been married four times, and, and the guy she was living with, she wasn't even married to. And yet she felt comfortable around Jesus. It's amazing to me how people that shouldn't like Jesus do, and people that Jesus shouldn't like, he does. In fact, he loves them. It's a match made in heaven. But there's a couple of things that don't go together. And they sort of don't go together with saints and sinners, and that is pride and prejudice. Pride and prejudice. Pride and prejudice are two things that will keep the saint and the sinner apart. It's true on both sides. It's true on both sides. The sinner is sitting there, and sometimes, sometimes, they can get pretty prideful. They say, I don't need your God. I don't need a Savior. I'm fine just where I am. And frankly, sometimes they're prejudiced. They don't like people like us. But you know what's worse? Is a lot of times there's pride in the church. See, we get a little more like we're better than them thing going on. And then there's a little prejudice thing going on. It's so important that James wrote about it. There's a prejudice thing going on. If they don't, if they don't smell and look and talk like us, then we kind of want to push back from them. So today I want to talk about Pride and prejudice. And boy, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is loaded with it, okay? But we want to talk about pride and we want to talk about prejudice. And really, this point. When a person walks through either those doors or those doors, what can they expect? When a person who doesn't, you know, a guest at our church walks through those doors, what can they expect? You know, told me something this morning. I said, oh my gosh, I don't know if that fits in the sermon or not, but I got to tell them. You know, 
I said, you don't want your church like Walmart. Now, now y'all know there's old Walmart and new Walmart. Now, you remember the old Walmart? Let's go back 20, 35 years ago. You walked into Walmart, and there's this dude there. He normally had this, this kind of voice. He goes, welcome to Walmart. And then you like felt, wow, you know, this is like really a welcoming place. And then, and then people with their little Walmart uniforms would follow you around going, can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? Now you go to Walmart, and there may or may not be someone at the front door, but if they're, they go, yeah, well, you know, hey, you know, we're glad you're here. And then you look for someone to help you. You can't find anybody. Are you not talking about? You go, hello, does anybody work here? And for the next I'll be here, no. <laughs> you hear this. You don't want your church to be like that. You know, we do, you know, we do a good job of greeting people at the door. But, but when that guest comes in, what happens after that? See, a lot of us have forgotten what it's like to be in a building for the first time. And so it's cool. I mean, our greeters do a great job. They hand out bulletin. They give them a handshake and a smile. But what after that? We want to be like the old Walmart where people are directing us and helping us find the place where they need to go. So, so the first big question is this. When these people, when, when the folks come to our church, either A, those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, and they decide to start poking around, or B, someone just happens to be coming to our church, they're already believers, but they're looking for a church home. You know, what will they find when they get to Dorisville Baptist Church? What will they find when they get to Dorisville Baptist Church? And the second question is probably bigger than that. Now, are you ready? What kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? There's two kinds. There's the us church and the him and them church. The us church is one where we exist for ourselves. That everything we do is for our pleasure and our well-being and our happiness. If someone happens to wander in and visit with us, that's fine. If they haven't been saved, that's fine too. But the bottom line is, our schedule, our worship, everything is about us. And then there's this him and them thing. That everything we do is about him and about them. And the world, I'm just going to tell you right now, America is full of us churches. What America needs. You want America to be turned around? You know, the answer is Jesus Christ. But we are his hands and feet. And we are his mouth. And we have a responsibility and we have a job to be not about us, but to make sure everything we do is promoting him and helping them find him. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. There's no such thing as a him and us church. Because God don't hang around people who are centered on themselves. If you don't believe it, read the New Testament. Jesus was constantly hanging around sinners to bring them to his grace, his salvation. And God wants to use churches that are about him and them. Let me ask ourselves the question, what kind of church are we? And I'm telling you, what keeps the church from being what it ought to be is pride and prejudice. It is not, it is not, it is not a match made in heaven. Now, we know what pride is. We pretty much get that. And you need to understand something. The world has perception. The perception of the world is, one, I don't want to go to church because they think they're better than me. 
just telling you the truth. If you go out there, they feel very uncomfortable coming in because they sense that we judge them. And we are better than them. And, two, they're worried that we're prejudiced against them. That somehow, that we judge them because they are less than us. Now, you know what prejudice is. Okay, Prejudice is when we judge someone without the facts. Prejudice is when we judge someone without the facts. Now, hopefully you're over this, but the first thing that pops our mind when we talk about prejudice is racial prejudice. I mean, every time I watch one of these movies about the civil rights in the 50s and 60s, and I grew up in the South, I just, I hurt from the prejudice and the injustice of this country against those people of color. You know, I, I, I can go back to World War II when if you happened to be a Japanese on the West Coast, they came in and shipped you off to Wyoming in the middle of nowhere for one reason. You were Japanese. And interestingly enough, they didn't do that to the German descent people. Go figure that out. But if you go back in our history, the way we treated black people, it's horrible. Horrible. We should soak it. And we're aware. And, and again, so hope if you're not over that, maybe today will be the day. But, but it's a prejudice that we can identify with. But, but then there are other prejudices. You know, sometimes we're prejudiced against people because they have the wrong last name. You know, you know if, there's a, if there's a person in, in town that has a bad reputation, then sometimes we associate the whole family with that. And we look down on that whole group of people. Uh, I'll go back to Lamont days. This is 1985. I remember Lamont. Lamont was a small town, about 800 people, 700 people, somewhere in there. And you don't know this person. That's why I chose this one, by the way, um, because you didn't know this person. But the name was John Comfort. John Comfort's an old guy. (laughs) Of course, I was 32 then, so he may have been 50. I don't know. But anyway, John Comfort had it, and this is true. He told his boys, he said, boys... Don't learn to read because then you have to work. That's that's true. That's what he said. So the bottom line is this. You didn't want to have the name Comfort because it meant you were lazy and didn't want to work. That was the reputation they had in that town. Now, you may have been the first Comfort to go to college. You may have got a college degree, but when people heard Comfort, what did they think? Lazy and didn't want to work. Lazy and didn't want to work. So that kind of prejudice exists also. And by the way, it's not only in the church, it's out in the community. Okay? Now, now the third kind of prejudice is, boy, I, believe, I, I said, ooh, I don't know how this will go over. You know, we are prejudiced sometimes but because like a Muslim. You know, Muslims can't be trusted. Okay? And why? Because they're Muslim. And we know terrorism comes from Muslims. So, consequently, all Muslims can't be trusted. You know what you call that? That's called prejudice. It's called prejudice. Now, here's what's funny. Here's where I said, okay, well, let's make it a little more easy to swallow. (laughs) You're in the same boat and you don't even know it. You know, in a lot of circles, you mention Baptists, and you're a holy roller, holy and thou, cuckoo. I loved it. We spent three days at the Billy Graham Center of the Cove over this past week at a pastor's conference. And the speaker had to be James Merritt, who is a very well-known Southern Baptist pastor. 
And when he, he, he mentioned the word Southern Baptist, people laughed in the crowd. People laughed in the crowd because it wasn't all Baptists. It was Presbyterians. It was all over the map. Some, one guy wrote down and, you know, they had question and answer. He said, I've never been around Southern Baptists before, you know. He said, you guys are okay. But you understand, again, if you mention Southern Baptists in a lot of circles, cuckoo, 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 we're caught. We're caught. So you should feel home with that one. Hey, how about this one? Um, they are notched beneath us because of the way they dress. You know, people, I keep talking about this because I want to nail it down. Okay? Somebody comes into our church and not dressed like you, the first thing you do is you judge them. If somebody has tats, we want to judge them. If somebody has piercings, we want to judge them. If someone comes in and their clothes are not as nice as ours, we want to judge them. In fact, here's the bottom line. If somebody comes in our church that's different than us, our tendency is to judge them. To judge them. And, and then there's this last one that, about prejudice. You know, they're unapproachable because of their standing in society. Now, it could be the rich. I mean, it could be, you know, in, in, in the town that we live in or town you live in, they're unapproachable, not because of their poverty, not because of their piercings, but because they're stinking rich. And you say, oh, they're better than me. And you prejudge. They might be the nicest person in town, but you'll never know. And by the way, and you'll, they'll never share Jesus. You don't know why? Rich people don't need Jesus. They don't want Jesus. Oh, really? Last time I checked, God, Jesus Christ, died for the entire world. And every person needs a Savior. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. It doesn't matter. They need Jesus. You know, there may be someone who's famous in our community. But it may be someone who's a felon in our community. So you see, that what can wedge us apart from the sinner is pride and is prejudice. And James knew the knew the danger of this, and spends 13 verses of God's Word talking about it. It's just huge. Now, here's what God says. This is what God says. This is Romans 17, I'm sorry, Romans 15, 7. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another, the same way Christ accepted you. Now, let me ask you a question. What did Jesus ask you to do to get saved? Well, let me make it easy for you. He said that we are to acknowledge our sin, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are to turn away from our sin, that's called repentance, and choose to follow him. That's what he called us to do. When he, when he called the tax collector Matthew, he said, come on, follow me. Matthew simply had to make a choice, stay where he was, or follow Jesus. So we are to turn from our sin, acknowledge our sin, turn from our sin, choose to follow Jesus, and commit to follow him the rest of our lives. Jesus didn't say, come to Sunday school seven weeks in a row and we'll think about it. He didn't say, give 12% of your income and then we'll think about it. He didn't say, you've got to be baptized and then we'll think about it. You know what he said? Come on. Come on. Turn from your sin. Follow me. That's incredible. That's just incredible. God accepted you as you were and invited you to follow him. Guess what the church ought to do? 
The same thing. The same. We gotta decide what kind of church do we want to be. Now we're pretty good at this, but we're not real good at this. When people come through that door, do they know they are in a safe place? Every week in the app, I put that in there. You need to know this is a safe place. No one's going to throw a stone at you. No one's going to judge you at Dorisville Baptist Church. We want you to know you're in a safe place. This is not a private country club. This is a hospital for sinners. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the only great physician. That's what we believe. And that's what this is about. It's not about us being comfortable. It's about Him being magnified and glorified. And sinners coming to know the Savior. I like what uh, Rick Warren said. God accepts us. Despite our messy lives, impure motives, and irritating attitudes. One of the ways we reflect God's love and bring Him glory is to accept one another just as He accepts us. Accept others. So James has got a lot to say. Now remember, it's really cool, in case you don't know, James the half-brother of Jesus. Same mama, different daddies. One had the holy God as daddy, one had Joseph as daddy. And Mary, of course, the mother of both of them. So here's the half-brother of Jesus speaking. He didn't become a believer, by the way, until after the resurrection. He thought his brother was crazy before the resurrection. But again, when a guy, and it's what we're celebrating next week, when a guy is dead and comes back to life forevermore, you kind of go with him. You kind of go with him. He didn't understand, perhaps, but he went with him. Well, here's what James says in James chapter 2, verse number 1. I call this, Welcome to DBC, Rich Man, Poor Man. Here's what James says. My brothers and sisters... Now, keep in mind, obviously, he's writing to believers. My brothers and sisters... Do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Don't show favoritism as you journey in your faith. Now, here's the crazy part. This is one of those Greek things. And y'all know I don't know Greek. I always want to confess that. But in the Greek, this is not, in case this happens, it is happening. So James is writing this to a group of people, the Jews dispersed, and this is happening in his midst, in their midst. This is not hypothetical. This is happening. And James says, listen, man, don't show favoritism. Treat every person the same. Treat every person the same. Treat every person the same. That's what James is saying. I love the, I don't usually use the, the New Revised Standard, but it's really good. Here's what New Revised Standard says. My brothers and sisters, now listen, let me slow down. Do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, in other words, favoritism is so not Jesus. James is going in that translation. It translates that, are you sure you belong to him? Favoritism, prejudice, is so foreign to Jesus. Are you sure you got the same Jesus I got? That's what James is saying. How strong and how powerful is that? And so then he lays it out for us. Okay? Now, we got, what we've got is, in James 2, 2 through 4, we got two lost guys coming to church. Two lost guys. So imagine Sunday morning, and out here in the parking lot comes an old pickup truck that's beat up, loud muffler, 
And then you've got a Mercedes-Benz. They both pull into the parking lot, and they both start coming toward the front door. That's the setup. Okay, so here's what James says. For if someone comes into your meeting, if someone comes to your Sunday morning worship service, if somebody comes to your Sunday night, your Wednesday night, if the doors are open and someone is coming in, if someone comes into your meeting, and here's what the first guy's wearing, he's wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and then also there's a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. So you got two people coming in. One is very wealthy. The gold ring signifies great wealth. He comes in, and then right behind him is someone who is obviously very poor. Now, something I, I thought significant, didn't really pay attention to I was studying for this, it only says dressed like in tattered clothes. What are they? They're dirty clothes. There's an odor. There's an odor. Okay, so what the question becomes... If this is true, then so so at Doorsville Baptist Church, we have two people coming in. And the first one drives a Mercedes. Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you. He's the new surgeon in town. Every church, rumor is he's looking for a church. Maybe lost, but he's looking for a church. And everybody's courting him. So how are we going to court the new surgeon in town when he comes to the door? And then you smell, and you smell something. And you realize there's somebody behind the new surgeon in town, and it's the poorest guy you've ever seen. Poorest guy you've ever seen. What is the response going to be? Okay, well, here's what James says. If you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor uh, by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, here's the deal. Here's, here's what churches do. Not our church. But I heard rumor that other churches do. Churches will see this new surgeon in town coming in and they'll go, oh, this is profitable. This is profitable. If he chooses our church, we'll have prestige. The, the, the new surgeon, the mayor, city councilman, uh, the director of the hospital. They, oh, that's prestige for our church. Oh, please, sir, please come in. You'll add prestige to our church. And who knows? He may bring income to our church. All the preachers smile at that one. But then there's the poor guy. He doesn't bring profitability he brings profit loss. Because some people will say, in town, would say, in this hypothetical church, would say, oh, if they let people like that come to our church, then we don't want to go to that church. We don't want our... Brent, you know this one. We don't want their children hanging around children like that. Does that sound familiar? We used to have a huge Wednesday night program. A lot of them were, were, were kids from the projects. And, and we heard, you know, well, we don't bring our kids because we know our kids hang around those kids. What? What? So we have profit loss. Oh, oh. He, won't, he or she won't be putting anything in the plate. They'll be taking things out of the plate. 
So you have these two things. And James says, if, you, if this is true, if you've got the rich guy and you treat him this way, and you've got the poor guy and you treat him this way, one, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves? Uh-huh. Haven't you prejudged those people? Yeah. Yeah. Um, haven't you become judges with evil thoughts? Yeah. There's only one problem. Last time I checked, God didn't appoint me judge. And guess what? God hadn't appointed you judge. So that's all up to God. I, I, I debate whether to tell you the name of the church. And I'm going to um, because I know it was a special occasion. In 19, I'm going to wag this totally, probably 92, 93, Judy and I went to the First Baptist Church of Woodstock. And, and Pastor Johnny Hunt has a huge heart for evangelism. In fact, he now works for NAM and pastors the church, but he works for NAM as evangelism director. So this is a pastor's conference. So to say that First Baptist Church of Woodstock was opulent would be an understatement. It was hugely awesome. So we're sitting in a breakout session, and this was not Johnny Hunt, but it was one of the staff people. And someone asked a question. I don't even know what the question was, but I've never forgotten the response. Actually, I think it was the question was like this. So, what kind of people, you know, what kind of people come to First Baptist Church of Woodstock? And the guy said, well, let me just put it this way. You won't find many old pickup trucks in our parking lot. We are not an old pickup truck kind of church. Yeah, you grow. But keep in mind, it was a staff member, Mary. It wasn't Johnny Hunt speaking. And I get what he was saying. I, I do get what he's saying. I mean, it was, a, it was an up and up church. It really was. And probably if Johnny Hunt, and then he said that, he'd probably kill him. But I'm trying to tell you this God, please let Dorisville be an old pickup truck church. God, don't let us lose that. Above all, above all, God, please don't let us ever be said that certain people are not welcome at our church. I'm telling you, it breaks the heart of Jesus Christ. I wrote this. People are people. Amen. I mean, you know, the song that Mandesia sings, we all, we all bleed the same. We all bleed the same. You cut a black man, he bleeds red. Uh, it doesn't matter. Poor man, rich man. We, we all bleed the same. People are people. Objects of God's love. Objects of God's love. People he died for. Man, I'm telling you, God did not, God did not say the cross is for certain kinds of people. He never said hey, you have to be a certain skin color or a certain. In fact, it flies in the face of grace to even mention that when it comes to the cross. God loved the world. So people are people, objects of God's love, people he died for. Skin color doesn't matter. Economic status doesn't color. Education doesn't matter. And neighborhood does not matter. I'm telling you, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we have got to be a him and them, and them includes everyone. And it's going to be more, listen, it's going to be more difficult as culture progresses. Because people are more and more different going to come in. I'm telling you, your Savior would open the door. We don't have to agree with their sin, but we love them as Jesus loved them. And then, guess what we do? Brent, we speak the truth. We speak the truth is what we do. So then we move down to James 2, 5. 
James 2.5. Kind of presents an argument. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Truth be known. Truth be known then. Truth be known now. You're going to find out that poor people are more open to the gospel than rich people. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man here in the kingdom of God. Well, no, he didn't like rich people. It's just simply this. It's hard to break away from that God. If money is your God, I don't know about folks out in the world, not here, out in the world, they're hard to give up that God. Because I'm telling you, God don't have a God line. I, I said this before, and I would oh, just go up to and say it again. Listen, you know, God doesn't say, okay, I want to be number three in your list. He doesn't say, I want to be number one on your list. God says, I don't want you to have a list. I don't want you to have a list. That I am your all in all. And no other. And no other. So James is saying, listen, these, these people, these poor people, are the ones that flock to the gospel. Love the rich man too, but they flock to the gospel. And he goes on and says this. He goes, you know, don't, they, don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme that good name that was evoked over you? Isn't that true? You know, someone once said, if you want to grow a church, get ready, team, you're going to like this. You have the best preschool and children's department in the world. Come on. Man, you got to pour your money. you got to pour your time. you got to pour your talents. Preschool and children and single mothers. And single mothers. James is saying that. He's saying, man, don't push the poor away. They're most likely more. And if a rich man comes, love him and lead him to Christ. Just to be prejudiced and push the poor man away. You know, my, my daughter quoted this verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things the man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I mean, can you say that name for me again, Rebecca? What's his name? Hore. In the average church, Hore would not have been welcome. He was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And in most churches, he'd been pushed away. God, you said it. You did good. God didn't see an alcoholic and a drug addict. He saw a missionary. He saw a missionary. And I'm telling you, God looks at the heart. We don't know. Do you understand? I, boy, I got, I got to read the story. You know, they have a Billy Graham Museum there. I mean, gosh, Billy Graham was just a farm boy. He was nothing special. Didn't want anything to do with God. And out of boredom, probably, he went to hear Mordecai Ham preach. And about the fourth time he went, he surrendered his heart to Jesus. And now we know the rest of the story. And you know what? It's been so easy to, for a church to say, not going to invest in him. He's just a farm boy. Ain't got nothing to put in the plate. But thankfully, thankfully that didn't happen. He went and Mordecai Ham preached the truth. He got into a church and sought God. And now we know the Billy Graham we know. We don't know 
who's going to walk through our doors. We don't know who's going to walk through our doors. But God does. And God died for everyone. And God loves everyone. Hey, Jeremy, that's why we're serving dinner next week. We're not just doing dinner for dinner. We're doing dinner to reach out in the name of Jesus. Amen? That's why we do the things that we do. It's all black and white. James 2.8. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Love God. Love people. No matter what your neighbor looks like or smells like, no matter the foul language he uses or his disdain, for your God, love him and lead him to Jesus. Amen. Don't lose this. Guys, it's huge. It's huge. You know, I wrote, you know, when we meet someone for the first time, we tend to pigeonhole them, pigeonhole them in some way. We may judge them by the way they are dressed, by their vocabulary or by a tattoo or earrings or hairstyle. But James says, Jesus died for them. And then he puts the bow on the package. He says in verse 9, If, however, you show favoritism, you commit what? Sin. Sin. God doesn't gloss over and go, Oh, well, that's not sin. I understand. You've got a past with, with a, you know, you've got a past you're dealing with. No, no. He says if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Churches who isolate themselves in the world are committing sin. Sin. Corporately and individually. So finally James says in verse 10, 11, For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. So let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hands. How many of y'all have sinned? All of us have, right? Am I, everybody? Okay, according to what James just said, when we broke one facet of the law, we broke it all. So that means the guy that you've got in your mind right now, yeah, Dwayne, but you don't know about this guy. According to what I just read, he broke all the law and you broke all the law. It just shows the greatness of God's grace. Am, am I right? See, before we get all puffy and say how good we are, just remember one time we were all lawbreakers. We're, all, we're big lawbreakers. Because you break one, you break them all. He goes on and he says this. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you're a lawbreaker. It doesn't matter. The big topic these days is homosexuality. You know, homosexuality is a sin. So is fornication. So is sex outside of marriage. It's sin. It's sin. It's a sin that needs God's forgiveness. And as long as we reject them, we'll never win them. When we stop loving them, no matter what the sin is, when we stop loving sinners, we'll stop winning sinners. We've got to be a soul-saving station. We've got to be a hospital. We've got to let people walk through the door, let them know it's a safe place. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to cast stones at you. We are going to love you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're going to tell you the truth. We're going to tell you the truth. So it comes down to this. James 2.12. And we're done. Number one. Are you ready? 
Number one, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. In other words, act like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. What's the law of freedom? It's the gospel. Live, speak, and act like a Jesus follower. You know, speak and act like Jesus would speak and act as a church corporately and as individuals. Speak and act the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love God, love people. Two, for judgment is that mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Boy, I wrestle with this one. There's no easy answer, but I'm going to give it to you what I think, and that is this. If you don't show mercy, it might be an indicator that you've never been born again. I tell you what, listen, we live in a dangerous world. There's a lot of people, and I'm not casting stones, you know I'm not. But there's a lot of folks running around, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And they're hating their brother. And they're saying the foulest things out of their mouth. And they're living simple lives. I'm just going to tell you what. I don't know what they got, but I don't know if they got Jesus. And, and by the way, eternity is a long time to be wrong. Because I'm telling you, God, you're not going to get up there and say, Hey, God, I thought, wink, wink. Without Jesus, you won't make heaven. And the evidence of Jesus is a changed life. You don't, you don't perform for God. You don't have to earn His love. You can't earn your salvation. I'm telling you, if you hang around Jesus, oh, shh, be quiet. If you don't hang around Jesus and smell like Jesus, something's wrong. Y'all might be saying, I wish you'd gone to that funeral. <laughs> the third thing is this and, this, and this leads us into the Lord's Supper. Oh, listen, guys, this is so important. Listen, I don't know if this is wrong or not. If I'm wrong, I apologize ahead of time. Our culture is going to hell in a handbasket. We're on a fast track to hell. And the only answer is Jesus. And we are his hands and feet, guys. And that's why we exist at 1300 South Fiesel Street. is because people need Jesus. It's not for our comfort zones. It's not if we have time and excess funds. We exist to tell the good news, the best news, that Jesus loves you. So many churches are so far off track. And so many believers are so far off track. I tell you, we build mountains out of molehills over the things that in eternity won't matter a bit. But here's the good news. You probably need some good news. The last part. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank God for grace. I tell people, I am shared this this morning with someone, you know, we were talking about, you know, messing up. And I said, oh, boy, I've messed up plenty. And I want you to, I'm not trying to be humble. I'm telling you the truth. I've messed up a lot. But I'm glad to report to you that mercy triumphs over judgment. The gospel is that mercy triumphs over judgment. The best news is that mercy triumphs over the neighbor out there is so difficult to live next to. The relative, your cousin Eddie, that lives out there somewhere, 
He needs to know mercy triumphs over judgment. So I want to challenge us. We've got Easter coming up next week. There won't be any empty seats next week. Lord willing, there will be about 575 people on campus next week. If, if history is an indicator, this room will be packed. We don't know what, what Toto is going to do. It could be even more. It's so important that whoever walks through our doors, we guard our mouths. We don't say, you're sitting in my seat. We simply say, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And I promise you this, two things are going to happen. These kids are going to get on this stage, and they're going to sing the gospel from the bottom of their hearts. It's going to be incredible. And at the end, I'm going to put a bow on it all, and I'm going to lay it straight out there. This is the gospel. This is good news. So every person that's on the radio and in this room are, is going to hear the best news ever, that God loves them and Jesus died for them. And if they'll turn from their sin and follow him, then he will forgive their sins and they can spend eternity in heaven. That's the best news. Amen? All right, let's pray. You know, if you're here today, you don't need to wait till next week. I tried very hard today to just put a lot of gospel in this. It's so important. Judy asked me today sitting in the living room, Hey, what day were you saved? October 26, 1975. God saved me from being the biggest sinner and hypocrite in church. I was a worship leader and lost. Had everybody fooled but God. And then that day I met Jesus. I'm glad for a preacher who didn't judge me that day. It had been so easy to say, why are you leading worship in my church as a lost man? That never came out of his mouth. He said, Dwayne, you know what you need to do today. Let's get on our knees. And right there in his office, I told God I was sorry for my sin. That I wanted to follow him more than anything. And he forgave my sins. And thankfully, for the last, what, 45 years, I've been following him. This be true for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've committed, it's true for you. That's one thing. And what we're about to do, by the way, this thing called the Lord's Supper, Jesus did it the night before he's going to be crucified. And it's symbolic of what he did. It doesn't, it's not the actual thing, but symbolically he did. You know, when, when he gave the bread to the boys, you know, around the table, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And just, in just a few hours... They're going down to a cross, and his body was going to be literally broken for them. He took their place on the cross, and that's what Jesus did for you. He took your place on the cross. And then he passed that cup around, and that cup was, he said, this is symbolic of my spilled blood, the new covenant in my blood. And if you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. And we, you know, the old song goes, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So at the end of the service, we're going to give you the opportunity to come and say to Brent, Hey, Brent, I want to know this Jesus. I, I want to know a man who would not judge me because I was black or white or green or yellow. He would forgive me of what I did. I want to meet that man. And we'd be glad to share with you that gospel. And guys, as we even prepare for the Lord's Supper right now, you right now can say, God, I needed this today. Oh, gosh, I hate transparency. But as I was sitting in my chair this morning, God made me answer this question. Dwayne, what about this? 
What about that person? What about this person? What about that person? And I was face to face to make sure there was no prejudice in my life. It's hard. Because there's a couple of times I'm like, ouch. Same point. I realized this message was for me. It was for me. And it's for us, by the way. It's for us. So maybe you're here today and, and God has called attention to some of the prejudice and pride in your life. Maybe you're a church leader and God's called it to the area that you lead. Maybe you've been one of the ones saying, we don't want those kind of people. And all of a sudden, God said, you do want those people because I want those people. And those people are people just like you. Right now, maybe, in the quietness of the moment before I pray and before we observe the Lord's Supper, you can say, God, forgive me of that. Help me to be an overcomer of my own pride and my own prejudice. Help me to be like Jesus. Like Jesus. Well, Father, we're sure grateful for this time we've had today. And this is hard, God. This isn't softball. This is hardball. But Father, in this culture, we need it. We have got to be the people and we've got to be the church, authentic in our faith and our actions. I thank you for this church, Father. I know the activities we do throughout the year, but God, I know we're not there. Just like Paul said, I've not arrived yet and we've not arrived yet. Father, in the freshness that only you can bring, make us more like you, Jesus, than we've ever been before. Father, I thank you for this bread we're about to partake. I know it symbolizes your broken body. You took my place on the cross. I deserve death, and you died in my place. I thank you for the blood, because it's the atoning sacrifice. It's the propitiation, it's the, it's the atoning sacrifice needed for my sin. That my sin was taken away because of your death and your sacrifice on the cross. We celebrate that today. So Lord, as we partake, may you receive all the honor and the glory and the praise. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. We're going to observe the Lord's table now and... I want you to know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are more than welcome to partake with us. You do not need to be a Baptist or a member of this Baptist church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you as we partake. And as I said earlier, the bread symbolizes his death on the cross. He took our place. And the blood is spilt blood, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Now, the way we do this at Dorsville, you'll notice there are five tables around. And what we invite you to do is go to one of these tables. Um, as soon as the music starts, just go to one of these tables, and then they'll give you the elements. Then go back to your seat, and then we'll share together. Two things you need to know. One, if you can't get up today, it's hard for you to get up and walk. Uh, Brother Jeremy Bennett will be going from table, or excuse me, from around the room if he'll bring in elements to you if you need that. So just raise your hand, hold them up, and Jeremy will bring them to you, all right? Then secondly, you need to know that this table is gluten-free. If you need gluten-free, this is the table you need to come to. All right? Let me pray one more time. Hey, God, I just want to thank you again. I just know you want to do something really big today. Just help us to be obedient to you. Thank you for this wonderful 
opportunity to celebrate you. And Jesus, I do pray this in your name. Amen.
What a wonderful song. I live in remembrance. That's good. Hours away from the cross. Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. He takes a loaf of bread, not like we have here. This is for convenience. They took a loaf of bread and started passing around. They broke off pieces of that. The loaf represented, by the way, the whole body. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take it in remembrance of me. And, and my was it broken. Amen. Scourged, nailed to a cross. All for us. He loves us. He loves the whole world. He loves what we talked about today. Those people that are so difficult to love sometimes. And then he, he took a chalice and he poured the wine in it and they passed it around. And they each one took from that chalice. And again, for convenience, we do it this way. But he said, you know, this is my blood. This is New Testament in my blood, New Covenant in my blood. He said, as often as you drink it, drink it then in remembrance of me. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. I, 